0: everyone welcome back to the food intelligence podcast my name is Miriam and I'm head of content and research here at taste rise it's good to be back on the airwaves after a bit of a summer break so to all of our longtime listeners welcome back and to any new listeners welcome we're happy to have you we're super excited to share this week a special episode with you. Recently, as part of our TasteWise talk series, we hosted a conversation between TasteWise CEO Alon Hen and Taylor Sokol, whose strategic partnerships at Impossible Foods. And the topic of the conversation was all about sustainability. What is the future of sustainability in the food and beverage industry? It was a fascinating conversation, both personally and professionally. We really got a lot out of hearing the business perspectives from both of these speakers. What do businesses need to be considering now as the industry moves towards, hopefully, a more sustainable future? And how are consumers relating to sustainability? How does that show up on the plate? And what's the role of plant based in this sustainable future? We all know that sustainability is important, it's urgent, and its relationship to food and beverage is going to be one of the most pressing issues of our work in the years to come. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as we did and get a lot out of it. If you have any questions or comments or ideas that come up for you while you're listening, please shoot us a note at live at tastewise.io. That'll come straight to me. I'd love to continue the conversation with you. And feel free also to connect with Alone and Taylor on LinkedIn. I'll throw their profiles in the show notes. So that's it for now. Enjoy the conversation and let us know what you think. Welcome, everyone.
1: It is great to be here together. Welcome to our very first TasteWise talk session on sustainability and the bottom line. I'm here with Alon Chen and Taylor Sokol. So I'm going to introduce what we're doing here today. As many of you know, I'm Miriam. Um, It's great to see some new faces as well as some familiar faces. As I said prior, uh, we're joined today by Alon Chen. TasteWise CEO, um, and Taylor Sokol, who's strategic partnerships at Impossible Foods. Uh, Today, we are going to be doing something new, TasteWise Talks. Um, It's an exciting forum for us to come together and talk about uh, really the food and beverage industry's most pressing questions. Uh, In our day-to-day work at TasteWise, we have an opportunity to really touch all different parts of the food and beverage ecosystem. Sustainability is close to our hearts. Um, we use food intelligence to really help the world's most influential brands create healthier, tastier, and more sustainable products. So it's one of our pillars uh, for the work that we do. And we really felt that there was a need for an opportunity for folks to come together, um, have a real, you know, casual conversation, a fireside chat, if you will. Hi, hey, Riv, um, <laughs> to talk about these, uh, these issues. So today it was going to be focused on sustainability and the bottom line. Um, I want to make sure we spend as much time as possible today hearing the good stuff from our guest speakers today. So I'm going to quickly introduce them both um, and then we will hit the ground running. So Alon, give us a wave. Um, Alon is the CEO and co-founder of TasteWise. He's our fearless leader calling in from the Tel Aviv office Um, He has a wealth of experience in leveraging AI uh, and big data, which I know many of you on this call are already using in your day-to-day, across technology, business, and marketing, um, notably at Google. So he is a a former former Googler, um, where he initiated and actually launched the Google Partners Program in 27 countries, serving as Google's chief marketing officer for Israel and Greece, um, and leading the company's relationship with the World Economic Forum. Um, When he's not incredibly busy with work, Uh, he is a human rights activist for the LGBTQ community um, and holds a a BA in economics and master's in law and an MBA uh, from the University College of So Thank you all for being here with us. Uh, Taylor who's joining us here from Impossible Foods uh, from the Pacific Northwest. He was telling us how chilly it is. um, So send him warm vibes. Um, He currently leads strategic partnerships and field sales at Impossible Foods, um, a pioneering brand that you all know and love. He's an important innovator in the plant-based foods category. Prior to Impossible Foods, Taylor helped build the GTM strategy for a first-of-its-kind biotech platform for improving the way crops are grown. So that's going to be an important part of sustainability in the future. So I'm curious to hear more about that and has spent nearly the last decade spearheading commercialization efforts for plant-forward and food tech companies focused on improving our food system. And while Taylor is not, uh, while he's not working at Impossible Foods, he's doing lots of incredible work uh, in the ecosystem. He is a participant in the Humane Society International's HEP mentorship program, where he offers guidance to some of India's most most promising food tech startups. So if anyone is joining us from India today, do let us know in the comments. Um, Today, we're going to be having around a 30-minute conversation on business and the bottom line. We'll spend about 10 minutes at the end for a Q&A, but you are welcome to offer any questions that you have in the questions portal. You'll see it in the bottom right of your screen here. Um, So feel free to send in any questions. Our team is uh, standing live to moderate those and send them. Um, And if anything that you'd like to offer in the chat, have a conversation amongst yourselves. We want this to be useful for you. So please feel free to use that chat function as well. Uh, and with that, I will leave alone and Taylor to it. Um, thank you for being here.
2: Thank you, Miriam. Thank you for um, facilitating and organizing and and thank you, Taylor, for joining us uh, today. We're super excited to have you here, you know, as uh, working for one of the leading brands in the plant-based uh, space that really um, showed us all that there's a new way to do it, and there's a better way to actually provide uh, a great burger, and then so many other platforms to the world that is plant-based and is delicious and is actually sustainable. So, for the purpose of this call, we really discussed earlier, Taylor, um, in preparation on how can you get to a business that is both sustainable in an environmental and and um, and uh, you know, ecological, and as well as uh, you know, uh, animal considerate, and at the same time profitable, and is financially uh, uh, sustainable. So I I would love to um, take you know the next uh, half an hour to actually talk to you about uh, your journey along the way, on how can we actually all learn from uh, from this journey, and how can we get such a massive, uh, you know. Um, opportunity out there to feed the world with better and more sustainable goods. So welcome and thank you for taking the time.
3: No, I I appreciate the introduction from Miriam and and the the invitation to participate in the fireside chat with you. It's certainly flattering. just to preface that I, I don't have any advanced degrees in, in sustainability, right? It's not, not something that I went to school for. Um, I've had the the pleasure over the last seven or eight years um, working around the, the professionals in this space and um, through osmosis, I've been able to pick up on on certain sound bites that have helped me in in my journey and have brought me here today to to have this uh, the stimulating conversation with you all. My, my background and really my subject matter expertise is on commercializing these products. Um, so it's taking all the the hard work and expertise from the experts, at the companies that I participated at, and. Uh, going out, using that information to have, having really productive conversations with business partners, right, on the commercial side of the business. So that's, that's really um, what brought me here today. I think that, you know, the question that you posed, I mean, it's a, it's a loaded question, right? It's dynamic. And I don't think it's a, it's not a one size fits all. Um, It really depends on the, the product, the business model, the geography, Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot at play there. I think that, You know, clearly, if you look at demographics, if you look at, let's take like Gen Z, for example, which now makes up roughly, I think the last uh, statistic I saw was around 40%, um, you know, they make a lot of their consumption, their consumption behavior is based on, I think, you know, 75% of their purchase behavior is based on uh, brands and products that have some sort of sustainability initiative, right? Which is really, really critical when marketers and salespeople and business leaders are building um, a story around their brand and really the crux of why they exist. So I think that there's a lot, a lot of play there, Alon. I mean, I would kind of lob it back over to you um, in terms of you know what has TasteWise uh, experienced in terms of the powerful AI that you guys are leveraging, the data that you're seeing, the the large CPG brands that you're working with. Um, you know, what are, what are they telling you? What is the data telling you?
2: So it's, it's an interesting, you know, when we discuss it as well, but but it's an interesting thing to, to, uh, look at the data when it comes to sustainability and see what is the top of mind for people when they, when they're coming to actually consider the purchase of a new product or a product they already know, right? The first thing always, you know that we all know it's like the price, right. And the taste and the, the brand and like, what it, will it make me feel? Not just how it tastes, but is it going to help me get, uh, you know, uh, to, a social, so uh, a certain social status. And then it's about, uh, obviously, um, the availability, if it's there or not, and, and all the way through other claims and needs that they have, for instance, they want to eat something healthy they want to make sure that uh, what they eat is is good uh, and is not hurting animals or it's good for the environment and when you look at sustainability uh, more specifically and this is it's actually quite sad but it's but it's important to understand the top of mind for consumer is not to eat sustainable sustainable is something that need to be there alongside other things that they consider for instance when we look at a, at a plant based eating right the, the bigger consideration is health. It's five times more than animal welfare and sustainability combined. So the interesting perspective that, that we see from the data is that your product must be first healthy and only then sustainable uh, to be uh, uh, considered as a purchase. But what we see in so many categories, it's almost becoming a prerequisite, right? Um, not just because, you know, you have to produce the product sustainably because sustainably, otherwise you pay, you know, carbon uh, credits or you have to buy, but also because it is becoming more trivial, but it's not there yet. And that's a, that's the interesting perspective that if you just look at sustainability, people don't care enough to change their purchase behavior.
3: Not not yet. And I, I think that you and I and some of our um, prior calls have discussed that, right? That's that's something that I'm really fascinated in personally is it's, you know, incentives are a superpower, right? And yeah. I don't know if sustainability alone is going to move the needle in terms of purchase intent for consumers. Not yet, right? Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, maybe if we we look five, 10, 15 years down the road, I, I do believe truly, you know, my opinion is that will change. But it's going to have to be led. Um, it's going to have to really, in my opinion, again, gonna, it's going to be led by governments, mm-hmm. Right. Um, they're going to have to figure out a way to put some significant incentives in front of consumers in order to get them to change their purchase behavior. And even on the, on the flip side of that, they, they could potentially penalize people, right? Like, you know, there could be a personal sustainability score that we, e- each of us carry. Right. Based on, at least on on the retail side of the business, you have spins and IRI data, right, that they can back into and they can look at, okay, what is your sustainability score over, you know, the course of 12 months at the end of the year, you're either offered uh, some sort of a rebate or an incentive based on making healthy, um, you know, purchase decisions that have helped the environment or the inverse of that. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I think this is a really fun question to talk about, and hopefully there's some entrepreneurs and some companies that potentially have incubators within their, their businesses that are working on these things, because I really do believe it's a it's a part of the future of our food system.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it's interesting to see that in some categories, it's not the future, it's already the present, right? Like there, there is you know in the plant-based uh, or the meat alternatives, obviously the, there has been a slower pickup. But I, I know that in the dairy uh, category, it's already quite prominent to consume plant-based, right?
3: Yeah, well, absolutely. We've seen a pro- the proliferation of you know the alt dairy category but it took a long time right this just didn't happen in five years where we have seen in the the plant-based meat category i mean we saw a, a huge explosion of growth from 2018 you know through the pandemic um but i always like to benchmark you know the the alt protein category to the alt dairy category because it did take quite some time you know two decades for us to get to where we are today which i believe you know, it depends on the source data that you use, but I think it makes up, you know, close to 18% of the entire dairy market is now, is now plant-based, which is incredible, right?
2: Yeah, it's really outstanding. And, you know, it's interesting in the context of when you look at the data, and you have to look today at the data, right, to be able to make business decisions, and you look at sustainability, right? So pre-COVID, sustainability was rising really, really, really fast, and, you know, the the Right before COVID, there was a whole thing about straws, right? Plastic straws, and now we're like killing all the turtles in the world because we were using plastic straws. And then overnight COVID came and sustainability was non-existent. People didn't care less. You could walk down the streets and you could see so many, you know, masks, you know, all over the place, which is, you know, a, a, almost a lot of plastic and a lot of polluting materials all over the place. And and it just dropped. So sustainability when when men humankind had like risk for for its uh, survival couldn't care less about sustainability. And then after COVID, you could see the graph going up and it's a little bit higher than uh, than before COVID. So the, the, the trend line it flattened out is actually still quite positive trajectory, but still not uh, prominent enough. And and I and it's interesting, you know, you're saying that the mid category is already near to 20%. It took a while, but we already see that in the meat alternatives, we see much faster than two decades, right? The the growth has been exponential in the past couple of uh, years. Yeah, and I
3: think that's because there's there was so much, you know, there was so much noise. There was a lot of information being put out there around the impact that animal agriculture has on the environment, which it, it indeed does, right? I mean, you can look at the numbers and they just don't lie. I think it's half of all arable land um, on the planet is used to, to grow animals for food right? They, mm-hmm. they take up nearly 25% of all freshwater. Um, again, going back to, it depends on the source data, but it's, you know, 15 to 18% of all greenhouse gas emissions can be directly tied back to animal agriculture. So these are really significant numbers. And as we look at, you know, the population, as we go from 7 billion to 10 billion people over the next 20 years, I mean, there's going to be an inflection point, right? Mm-hmm. And I think more and more consumers, again, looking at like the larger demographics that being millennials and Gen Z, they're paying attention to this stuff, mm-hmm. right? It's all over social media. I mean, it's all over, all over the web. I mean, it's easy to access this information. And I think that's driving a lot of their, their consumption. Like they're, they're making their purchase decisions that much easier.
2: Yeah. But, but if you think, if we take a, uh, absolutely. And if you think, take it like to, uh, to the next level and you think, why was, you know, dairy, Alternative so quick to pick up, specifically milk, right? Um, it's quite clear because it's much easier, right, to create an alternative when it's like more liquidy and 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 the texture is much easier to solve. Whereas in the you know animal plant based uh, uh, revolution, it's a lot more complex from a food science perspective to get to the right texture and the right flavor and the depth and the deliciousness and the mouthfulness. Of, of a product. So the technology is picking up and is trying to catch up with the demand by consumers. Um, do you think we're
3: there yet? Yeah. Going back, putting a pin back in what you just mentioned with dairy, I believe from some of the studies that I've read is the proliferation in the alt-dairy category um, was due to, uh, to, to diet and allergies, right? Lactose intolerance, um, which is a whole nother, you know, discussion that we could have. I think it's completely different if we start looking at the, uh, if we look at the ALT oh, protein, um, the meat analog category, right, and why it's grown so quickly. It's more to do with sustainability, right, and animal welfare than it is to do with, with diet and nutrition and health. Although that is a component, right? I mean, for example, you look at a lot of uh, our products at Impossible, and right off the bat, you know, there are some some benefits in terms of health, right? Zero mm-hmm. cholesterol, zero trans fat, no antibiotics or hormones. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people aren't aren't aware of, you know, when you consume meat from animals. I mean, a lot of them you're you're sub subthe- they're subtherapeutically fed antibiotics to being kept from getting sick, right? Mm-hmm. Because of the environments that they're raised in, and so then we. As humans consume those antibiotics as well, those hormones, and so I mean that's just one example, right? But
2: yeah, so actually um, you're you're right. I mean the first thing, as we said, in any food and beverage product, it must be first, you know, tasty. Right? It need need to be resemble what you already know, or it had to uh, um, you know mix up well with whatever uh, you're doing. Like for instance, the the big success of Oatly was because they created a barista. Version of it, so people that are actually in plant-based can can have a, an amazing, you know, cappuccino with an alternative milk. So that's one. But actually, when you look at the data, health, and you touched upon that, is again five times more important than anything else. And under health, obviously, you have the allergies and people that need that. But um, people perceive the category, the plant-based alternative, alternative, to be healthier. Than anything else that they they consume from uh, animal-based product, and because of the additives and all the hormones and antibiotics that we you know uh, the industrial um, the industrial uh, part of the process must uh, take into consideration and implement, which is very um, very unhealthy for for people. And taking it to another observation, I had. A um, couple months ago, and I think I told you that. A couple of months ago, we uh, we attended the plant-based uh, conference, and we asked the audience um, what do they think is the main motivation for people to consume plant-based. And actually, only twenty percent knew that it was health, and it's way before sustainability and uh, animal welfare. So it's important to remind everyone to, that they really need to know the data and the main human motivation uh, and need. That uh, make people, you know, buy some product and not buy uh, another. I want to take us to a different, uh, to a different, you know, conversation Taylor, about sustainable, you know, financially sustainable um, aspects of of, of plant based, and specifically, how do you think is the best way to get a new plant based product? in the markets today what's the right go-to-market strategy and where would you start if you had to uh, if you had to uh, you know launch a new uh, plant-based product and i'll give you a a hint or a perspective i know that you're an expert in the food service uh, category and it would be interesting to hear about your experiences uh you know making uh impossible so successful
3: in that category I think it's it's a great question. I think it's about creating brand ambassadors, right? And and building affinity for your brand. And how do you do that these days? I mean, I think it's through it's through, you know, finding um individuals that can help make your your brand famous, right? Mm-hmm. We live in this TikTok generation. And so like, you know, taking a page and clearly, you know, I'm biased having worked for Impossible Foods, but like you know, one of the things that we did right out of the bat was to go to these better burger chains, to go to, you know, very influential chefs, Michelin star chefs that were, you know, very meat forward and beta testing our products with them and getting them to buy in and giving us endorsements, right? That gave us um, a lot of tailwinds in terms of going out to the rest of the the food service or food away from home community and saying, hey, listen, if, if this very famous chef that is built You know, a restaurant empire around meat from animals is saying, hey, these products are just as good, if not better, than the products I've been serving in my restaurants. Well, clearly, you know, that endorsement is going to get our foot in the door, right, and going to give us some momentum um, growing the business. So, I mean, if I was going to launch a new product from the plant-based industry, I think that that clearly was a playbook that worked quite well for us. And I think that I would probably replicate it for sure. So basically, what you're saying, building a brand today
2: may be easier if you do it through the food service, right, um, um, distribution channel versus retail, right? Because if I if I analyze it and if we look at the data from our perspective as well, actually, when people walk into a restaurant and they look at the menu, right, and they see something new, they're Cost of trying the product or the or the dish is just the price of the dish. It's not about buying the the ingredient in a supermarket, the grocer, and then going home and trying to cook with it and make something of it. So their just their 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 need is just like they want to try some new things, but they don't have to have a, a high bar and a high price for entry. And that's been uh, an exciting uh, new space for a lot of brands, by the way. Um, it's been like that in the beverage uh, um, space for quite a while now building your beverage brand through food service and through the uh, restaurant uh, distribution because you put your brand in front of consumers where they're ready to take a look they spend minutes reading the menu whereas when they go to the grocer they're just going and they usually buy the top 100 you know sKUs or items that they're used to and they need they need to try something else is a lot more. Uh, difficult. And if you look at the menus, and by the way, we look at at 100 million menu items every single week. We analyze every single menu item every single week across more than a million restaurants in the U.S. and in 700 markets that we're covering. And we try to see what's trending and we see a lot of new brands trending. Whereas if you think about it, it was just beverage and now it's going into, it was beverage and condiment, right? The Hellmann's, the Heinz in the past. And now it's a lot of food brands. So is it getting also very cluttered, you know, you pave the way to other brands to um,
3: confuse a lot of the restaurateurs as well. Well, no, I, th- I think you made a really good point. I mean, food service, they are two different strategies altogether, right? I think food service can help drive trial, but you see very few manufacturer brands actually branded in food service on restaurant menus, right? So that's that's a challenging conversation to have with restaurants. Um, you know, many of them. What I've seen in my experience being a participant in this plant-based space is that uh, many restaurants will say, "Hey, I'm just gonna say that your plant-based meat product is vegetarian or vegan, right?" And we are um, we we highly encourage our restaurant partners to put our brand. In front of those menu items, because we've we've done so much work in terms of building brand equity that we know based on the sales data that if we, they do use our brand, that they will sell anywhere from two to three times more, right, than just calling it out as like a veggie patty or mm-hmm. a plant-based meat patty right and i think a lot of that that branding is is complemented by the efforts of our retail team in retail and building our presence in retail and finding really really great partners that give us the visibility and you know help drive that adoption so i think there's certainly two different strategies no doubt but complementary to one another
2: yeah, and I think that food service is taking off. The the food service uh, go to market uh, strategy is actually becoming a mainstream. I was just a, at a food tech conference uh, last week, and and every other startup that came and showed their goods were were actually oh, and now we're working like with fifty top chefs in New York and in Chicago and and in London, and we're trying to get them to adapt because uh, it's a trial and error. But it's also interesting to talk about the the for the first time maybe. Uh, in the food category, beverage category, it has been there for a while. You know, you buy your soda both in the and but also when you go to your favorite, you know, diner. Uh, but in the food category, and especially as you mentioned it very clearly, branded food, so there is actually, they clear up, uh, they, they clearly say that it's uh, it's a burger patty made by, right? Impossible. And that's that's something new, but it's also impacting retail, right? It's also helping the retail, uh, uh, raise awareness. So there is a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, correlation and uh, and interesting uh, um, adjacencies to actually building your brand in both channels today. Um, any any perspectives or
3: observations on that? Um, you know, I think that you, the way that you just described it made made a lot of sense. I think one of the things that I was thinking about was, uh, as you were describing that, was the cost of having a sustainability strategy, right? Um, It's something that I often think about for challenger brands that are looking at getting into the space. What is, what is the cost? What are the input costs um, or the hidden costs? And I think that's, it's an interesting way to look at it. And Something that I've been spending a lot of time on is customer acquisition cost. And I know that the cost to acquire a new customer, right, is, is 5x what it is to retain a current customer or make sure your your current customers don't attrit, right? And thinking about that, you know, it's a much more profitable strategy to have some sort of a sustainability um, play that's associated with your brand because it can help drive sustained growth and sustained profitability. So for these younger brands that are looking at getting into the space, that's one thing to, to certainly pay attention to.
2: Yeah, I- interesting. And and uh, if you had to um, to rank you know, the sustainability and obviously the cost of acquisition, and uh, as we say, consumption frequencies, it's so important because if consumers are not going to be uh, buying your product again or ordering the dish again, you have no viable, um, you know, financially viable product, and it's a it's an important thing to actually contextualize the product in other dining occasions or eating occasions, so they actually think of your brand and 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 uh, actually bring it up when they actually make a decision, which is something that you know coming up with the right content, making sure that you're meeting them at the right point, and inspiring them on how else they can be using the the you know, the product that they bought or the ingredient they bought in their grocer whether they're walking into their home kitchen and trying to fix, you know, dinner in five minutes or, you know, a nice uh, fancy meal for their friends when they're coming over the weekend. Um, so one last thing, if you had to, you know, if you had to break down sustainability and, and say, here's why, what I think it, people care about most, what would it be? Is it, would it be like food waste, recycling, climate change, Or do you think it's just the ethical, you know, um, um, consideration around animal welfare? Um, any, any, um, insights on why people would go for sustainability? What is sustainability for consumers?
3: Yeah. I don't know if I would rank it, uh, like one to five or one to six like that. I think they're all equally important. Um, as we touched on earlier, I think obviously health is a big component, but I mean, food waste is becoming more and more prevalent in all of these conversations occur- and when we talk about our food system, right? I think it's one of the uh, statistics that I read um, recently was that if food were a country it'd be the, lar- uh, the third largest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions, right? It's, it's incredible. It's nearly you know, half of all food that we grow and produce ends up in landfills producing methane, right? And then you have to look at the, the full life cycle of how food waste is impacting our environment. Um, I think food waste would probably be up there in terms of you know, rankings, but I think all of them are, are weighted equally. Yeah, I'm actually
2: just looking at the, at the data and actually food waste is the number one.
3: So when people think about
2: sustainability, generally food waste is number one, but it really differs from a category to category. So I'm sure if uh, you're interested in the data around your category, Miriam can help you pull uh, the information. Any of the right. uh, any of the viewers uh, on the call.
1: So thank you very much for your perspectives on on this conversation. I I could sit here for hours and listen to you both. Um, I want to make sure we have time for questions from the crowd. So I think we'll start with. Um, we're going to do, I think, five. Um, so just keep that in mind when you give your answers. Uh, let's start with this. And this is a question that came in to me, uh, to me privately. How can brands tackle this balance between planetary health and personal health? When Where do you start when creating a new product? So you talked about this kind of inflection point where consumers are juggling this investment in personal health, right? Which reigns uh, and then planetary health. And obviously these are susceptible to the changes in the market and what's going on in the world. Um, so what should brands do when they're thinking to create a new product and, and get their foot in the door? How should they be tackling these two focuses?
3: Yeah, I mean, for my opinion would be first you have to start with health. I mean, I mean, obviously the product has to compete on taste. and um, has to taste really, really good. I think we look at... Um, we look at uh, one of the, the terms we use is plant-based anxiety, right? <laughs> some of these, some of these legacy uh, brands, you know, that have been around for years and years and actually were marketing and creating products specifically for vegans and vegetarians, right? Which are, are very, very important. But if, you know, if companies like ours that are mission-based, that are trying to have a major impact on climate are going to be successful, we've, we've got to bring everybody along for the ride, right? And, and that's why, you know, we, may, we know based on the sales data that 90% of the consumers that try our products and repeat purchase are indeed meat eaters right? They're just, they belong to this category called flexitarians or reductitarians, right? Which I personally consider myself one of, you know, I make a conscious effort a few days a week to reduce the amount of, um, of meat that's in my diet. Um, but I think certainly concentrating on, on health first is, is, uh, is definitely important.
2: I can and maybe add to that, Miriam, that it's clear from, you know, from the data that, again, consumers want health, more than anything else right um and that's a top priority for them i think that from esg right from social and corporate responsibility and the way that the markets and governments are going to be uh, uh putting in place the regulation already the regulations in place it must be both unfortunately uh unfortunately unfortunately because it's more complex from a business perspective and fortunately because it's uh, the need of the of the hour
1: thank you yeah i that's, um, that's really on point. And to Taylor's point, we actually spoke with uh, someone at Redefine Meat a few weeks ago, who was talking about how this concept of meat generally, uh, right, when we think about carnivore and flexitarian and vegetarian and vegan, even the concept of meat is changing, right? Um, what do we define as a meat meat alternative, right? Is it premised on on taste, experience, nutritional count, right? So I think consumers are, when you say bring everybody along, right? Thinking about who is everybody? How do we speak to everybody in the language that they'll respond to? How do we meet their needs? Um, I want to take us over to uh, price. We've gotten a few questions here, one from Peter and one from Jeff. So I'm going to lump them together. Um, Jeff is asking, are there specific categories that consumers are willing to pay more for products that are sustainable? And do you see other categories dipping into this? And as a a kind of additional point, Peter asks, how far does does plant-based compete on price with meat products? Retailers, especially big ones, tend to compete intensely between one another on prices. And in doing so, squeeze the margins for producers and processors. And we know that sustainable options right now, at least in the market, um, are not competitively priced um, for run-of-the-mill meat products. So um, let's talk about price affordability. What does that mean for the future of the category and how is it playing today?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, it's interesting given the economic environment and and inflation and what we've been seeing over the last, you know, uh, few quarters with, you know, uh, the animal agriculture industry has passed along several price increases, right? And they've been impacted much more than I think the plant-based category has as a whole. And we've seen the delta between where plant-based uh, meat uh, is being priced and where animal meat is being priced. We've seen it narrow, right? Which, which mm-hmm. is a good thing because the, our thesis is that if we can get our prices um, to parity with meat from animals... And our products taste just as good, if not better, and they're better for you, then consumers will just naturally um, choose plant-based products over the, their meat counterparts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're starting to see the, the impact of that. But clearly, like, you know, we don't have the economies of scale as, as big, big mm-hmm. um, animal agriculture companies do, right? So we also don't have the subsidies, um, that's that's something that we haven't really spoken sp- spoken much to. And I think we will see, you know, in the coming years, um, we'll see some changes there. Um, I'm optimistic, but um, your thoughts there, Olin? It, it's interesting you say,
2: I, w- I was, uh, as soon as Miriam asked, what I wanted to say is that animal-based protein is heavily, heavily subsidized by the government. So you spoke about, you know, regulation to encourage, you know, more plant-based, actually just need to remove the subsidies or actually make them equal for the animal, uh, um, the alternative uh, uh, to animal protein. And that will on its own make the difference. It's clear today that more plant-based sustainable options, uh, you know, are higher, are priced higher, uh, just simply because it's for the early adopters that can actually afford more. And actually also from a branding perspectives by many brands, if you're not pricing your product that may already be perceived as as uh, as a lower, you know, more, it's not like premium, it's not the animal that we're used to, which is more expensive than the rest, then if you don't price it more than the animal-based protein, then you actually can hurt and damage your brand awareness and the brand uh, uh, perception. So the two, you know, both the retail play as well as the manufacturers and the branding exercise, pricing is a branding exercise as well as um, as a, the subsidies that must go away.
1: I want to add here something just before we, we move on to the next question. I think also within this constellation of ethical considerations that we're talking about here for Planet, there's also a fair amount of social considerations here as well, right? As we're building the future of our industry and we think about socioeconomic access, equitable access to health, especially to sustainability, right? how do we ensure that products are competitive um, offer health benefits, planetary benefits are affordable are accessible, right? There's so much to consider here. Um, and putting the consumer right at the center of those decisions, I think is the only way forward. Um, really understanding what people need and and what they're looking for is, is crucial.
0: And that's where, you know,
3: honestly, to add a little bit to that, that's where like having healthy competition is very important. Yeah. Right? We want more people. We want more people to come into the space, compete with us, create really delicious products. Right. I mean, that's the only way that we're going to see, you know, um, stepwise change um, in our food system as it relates to, you know, animal ag and, and the plant-based yeah. meat. Right?
2: From from marketing perspective, with the market perspective, if you think about the plant-based, um, you know, pie it's actually the mission that we all have is to just to extend it, expand the pie, yeah. and not just like the the division between. And there, I think there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of prosperity to a lot of uh, companies. So yeah, absolutely, raising awareness for the category is, is critical to um, to changing the the habits uh, worldwide.
1: More pie for everyone. Agreed. <laughs> um, it also correlates to I'll just call out. Um, some engagement from the audience. So I'm seeing here in the poll about the biggest sustainability challenges facing food and beverage brands today um, and noting that everyone in the audience is from you know, a food and beverage brand. So we're talking to the people themselves here. Um, balancing sustainable products with affordability uh, is winning, right? So that's 30% of, of respondees feel that in their own day-to-day work. Um, so I think you're right to kind of really touch that on the head. Um, I think we have time for, let's do one more question. Uh, we'll do two more questions. So. Kind of hailing back to this conversation about consumer interest and consumer dedication to sustainability or interest in sustainability. So you mentioned inflection points. So a question that came in was these inflection points of consumer demand for sustainable food and beverage, will they be driven by media, science, social pressure, or something else in 2023? So where do we anticipate the roots of uh growth and sustainable interest? Where do we think that's gonna be coming from in the food and beverage industry in, in the next year?
3: Yeah, I think the entire category as a whole can do a better job of just, uh, you know, awareness and and driving brand awareness with consumers. We need more points of distribution. We need yeah. to um, we need to bring more partners to the table. Um, we need to make sure that our our brand is at the forefront and that people are seeing it everywhere. We need access, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we need to be developing more products that are accessible in different areas, whether that's food away from home, whether that's non-commercial, college and university, K through 12, right? All these layers that are a part of away from home and then all the access points that are a part of retail too. We just need to make the products more accessible, right?
2: Yeah, I think uh, Miriam, the the short answer is gonna be, it takes a whole village, but then as a company and as a brand, you really have to be, you know, um, you're gonna be managing your own faith. And and I think that, uh, one of the, the observations I had in the past, uh, in the past two years, where well, we've been helping a lot of plant-based brands to actually work out their go-to-market, is actually they need to de- to generate the demand themselves. So if you're mm-hmm. thinking about food service, you can't rely on the distributor. You really have to work with the distribution partners, but you really have to be the one that dem- uh, generating the demand. And it all starts with like understanding. Okay, you put it on a menu, and your brand is out there. How are people consuming it? What do they do with it? How do they respond to that? In which dishes actually the chefs are making that? You know, um, turning it into a dish. So that's important to be like very, very close to the consumer. I, but I do think mm. that if if we're looking back at like the biggest changes in uh, plant-based and the uh, and uh, and the movement, you know, sometimes it only takes an amazing new Netflix uh, film mm. to change, you know, the habits of so many people. So I think we it's clear that that's where the world is you know going it's clear that this is where the responsible uh, organizations are going to um uh, to make uh, waves and hopefully also regulators and and governments uh, usually they're late to the to the game here as well uh but with consumers demanding and and making enough noise then actually it will make uh, make it to the agendas of the political parties as well so
1: Yes, I think to, to sum that up, it's more pie for everybody and everybody needs to be in the kitchen, right? Um, that it's a, it's a group effort here. Um, thank you. So with our remaining couple of minutes here, uh, I wanna ask a large question. And it's a little unfair of me to ask you, this with just five minutes left, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. And also I'm curious to hear uh, the thoughts of people who are with us. Uh, so feel free to put your answers in the chat. My question is, when we talk about sustainability in five years, what will be the focus? When we have a taste Rise talks in five years, Taylor, and we invite you in, um, what are we going to be talking about? What's going to be the most you know urgent part of this entire conversation?
3: Oh, uh, that is. Uh, I wish I had a crystal ball. <laughs> uh, most definitely, I think that the pace with which technology is evolving. I mean, and and I, I would love to hear Alan on this using AI. I, um, I'm a big podcast. Uh, I love listening to podcasts, and I just listened to the. Um, Guy Raz, how I built this, just interviewed Sam Newman, who is the, one of the co-founders of OpenAI and uh, the past president of Y Combinator. And he was talking about the impact that AI is going to have in all parts of our, our life, right? And I think in terms of sustainability, as, as AI becomes more and more sophisticated and more and more uh, prevalent in our lives, like it's going to play a big role in, in sustainability, most definitely. I think that AI could... Um, could really really change the game. Um, I don't know exactly how that looks because I'm not an expert on that uh, on that subject. And it, with that said, maybe I'll I'll toss it over to you, Alan. <laughs> yeah. So my answer, Miriam,
2: is that um, AI is already changing the way people eat and drink and the decisions yeah. they make on sustainability and taste as well. It only takes one video from a nine years old kid that talks about corn. To actually get to shortages nationwide, and it's actually <laughs> being pushed by AI, right? Like the AI in the social media that we're consuming is actually getting us, uh, you know, the same trend. Sometimes it's a good trend, sometimes unfortunately not so positive. But in the food case, you know, we had uh, the sourdough. Everybody's been making sourdough, and then you saw that with feta cheese, and and you see you see AI coming into you know showing you. Um, a Wendy's burger when you're playing a computer game and you can just order right from the metaverse. So I think AI is already ruling and really changing the way we consume. It's just like sometimes it's, it comes into our you know top of mind and sometimes it's just drifting out. I do think that, that from the food perspective, I think AI is also going to make big change. And uh, I got exposed to some of the technologies uh, a couple of weeks ago on production, right? So maybe yeah. how can you take... Different, you know, uh, cells of different proteins, blend them together and create something that is new. It's a new kind of meat that people will be consuming. That the AI was actually part of designing, and uh, and I think um, it's coming so soon, sooner than before. But here's my, you know, maybe the most pressing, you know, outcome from working with so many food brands and innovators in the past uh, in the past five years is that. Consumers must be part of the solutions as well. And understanding consumer behavior is the center of every single decision and every single um, um, business uh, decision that you have to make. If you don't put the consumer in the center and if you don't really look at behavior, not you can't ask people what they think anymore. That's it. When you ask them in the food uh, segment what they think, they lie or they don't know what to tell you. You need to look at real behavior and mass sizes and actually extrapolate what would, it, what would your product uh, mean to them and then come up with your strategy. So um, data is of essence.
1: Yeah, that's great. And I think your last point, it's not to, by not asking consumers, it's not that you don't trust consumers, right? And um, it's that you're letting consumers show you what they care about um, at scale so that it's scalable uh, for business decision.
2: Absolutely. Excellent.
1: Thank you. Um, Just to add to that and then we'll wrap up for today. Peter offered as well that water availability or stress of the sourcing areas um, is important. Absolutely. There's also a lot of AI applications there in agriculture and food production about, um, you know, diving deep into the ecological uh, implications. Um, So thank you to you both, Taylor and Alon. It has been a true pleasure. Um, I hope, Taylor, that we can have you back for more of these because I I want so much more. Um, I want to remind everybody or let everybody know that we have our next talk with David Shaw. He's the ESG Director for the International Zone of Kraft Heinz. And that's going to be a different perspective um, from kind of big food. uh, So looking forward to to seeing what that looks like. Um, If anyone is interested in continuing the conversation, please feel free to send me uh, any Alive at is our email address. Send me any questions. Uh, connect with Alone, connect with Taylor on LinkedIn. I know that they both are passionate about these subjects and would be happy to continue the conversation. Um, and thank you all for being with us.